Well, welcome back to our PVN student study of the book of Ruth. Um, we are kind of at the halfway point, right? Ruth is four chapters, and normally we'd start into chapter three today, but today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I want to focus on a key theme in the book of Ruth that will not only be very important for the rest of the book, but it's a key factor in the rest of the Bible as well. So as you kind of learn this concept that we're going to talk through today, it will kind of be your guide. It will kind of be the key that unlocks the rest of the book for you, and really the first two chapters as well. Um, We've talked about this theme before in Ruth, but it'll be good for us to see it here, especially as we get into chapters three and four, because this is kind of the main point of the rest of the book, or one of the main themes of the rest of the book. Let's do a little review, and we'll start to see this theme appear. Uh, In chapter one of the book, Naomi and her husband and two sons leave the promised land in the middle of a famine and go to the land of Moab. Naomi's sons marry Moabite women, and one of them is named Ruth, (gasps) right? So they leave the promised land. They leave Bethlehem. They leave the land that God has prepared for them, which is not a good thing, right? Boo, it's not a good thing. And they go into the land of Moab, which which is arguably one of the worst places that they could go. But while they're there, they, they, they meet these two Moabite women, their sons, the sons marry, and um, one of the women's name is Ruth. While they're down there, Naomi's, husbands, Naomi's husband and sons both die, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law from Moab. And this was a devastating situation, okay? Not only the heartbreak and the sense of loss, which I can't even imagine, but Naomi now has no way to earn a living. Remember, there, there is no life insurance or anything like that. But arguably worse, she has no way to bear children and continue the family line. This was almost seen as a curse, right, in, the, in that time. And in some ways, it was a curse, if you get into some of the Old Testament stuff. But uh, we just don't have time to dig into that today. But it safe, suffice to say, This was a devastating situation, both in terms of family as well as financially. How are they going to survive? It's it's dreadful. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8, Naomi seems to think as if she's been left for dead because she says in chapter 1, verse 8, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She seems to be associating herself with the dead. You see how that, that, that kind of sounds? As you have been kind to the dead and to me. Naomi is looking at herself as a dead woman walking. She sends her daughters-in-law back to Moab. She tells them to stay there, start your life over. One of them leaves Naomi, right? This is Orpah. One of them leaves Naomi and goes back home. The other one named Ruth stays with her, though. And Ruth not only stays with Naomi, she commits herself to Naomi, even when she doesn't have to, even when speaking in a worldly way, she would do so much better if she would leave this poor widow and go back to Moab and and get a husband and start her life over. But she decides to commit herself to Naomi, to be her friend and, and, and more than a daughter to her. She will do the best she can to take care of her, but they still have no means of income and no way to carry on the family line through children. And then we get into chapter two. The two women return to Bethlehem because the famine has ended. God has brought back food through the barley harvest. Ruth decides to go and pick grain in a field 
and hopes that she will be allowed to harvest there. Remember, she's a foreigner. She's a widow. There's no, this is in the time of the judges. There's no guarantee Ruth is going to be kept safe here. So she goes out into this field trying to get some food, trying to get some barley in hopes that she'll be welcomed. And she just happens. Remember chapter two? She just happens. She chanced upon chance to wind up in the same field owned by a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a man of great character, and he is extremely kind to Ruth, right? He has heard about Ruth dedicating herself to help Naomi, and he blesses her for that. Ruth starts the day on the outskirts of the field, right, where the widows and the foreigners and the strangers glean. And yet by the end of chapter 2, Ruth is picking grain with the servants, with the Israelite servants, with the Israelite men in the middle of the field and comes home with roughly 50 pounds of barley. Boaz has been very kind to her. And Ruth chapter 2 ends like this. Ruth chapter 2, verse 20 through the end, Naomi says this to Ruth. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May this Boaz be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. See, Naomi's associating herself with the dead again. And again, Naomi said to Ruth, The man, speaking of Boaz, is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. More on that in a minute. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all the harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with with this man and his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So Ruth stayed close to the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So at the end of the chapter, we see a couple things. One, the chapter ends on kind of this questioning tone. It ends, why would you end, to, why would you end it by saying, and she lived with her mother-in-law? So what does that matter? It matters because it shows that Ruth does, Ruth does not have a life of her own, so to speak. That's still the central problem of the narrative. Ruth, things are going well for Ruth. Things are going better for Naomi. But Ruth is still kind of stuck in this situation at home. She has no sign of a family line continuing. She has no financial independence on her own. She still has to live with her mother-in-law. That's the main issue. But it also shows us that Boaz is not just a good man. Naomi says, he is a relative. Indeed, he is one of our closest relatives, verse 20. That's kind of weird. Why would you say he's one of our relatives? He's, in fact, one of our closest relatives. Well, what does that matter? Well, remember, the beginning of chapter 2 tells us that Boaz is related to Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Here's why this is important. This phrase in verse 20, he's one of our closest relatives. You may want to circle it because it really, in Hebrew, it means kinsman redeemer. And here's our theme. Boaz is what's called a is able to be what's called a kinsman redeemer. God's law in the Old Testament allows for what is called a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, someone who's related, you're, you're kin to so-and-so. Kinsman, someone who's related. Redeemer, someone who saves you from a bad situation. So a kinsman redeemer is a relative who saves you from a bad situation. God has allowed for this in his law. In Leviticus 25, if you had to sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt, so you have to go work off, you don't have any money, so you got to go work the debt off by working for someone, or you had no land, so you have to go work for someone and live with them, 
this kinsman redeemer, this close relative of yours, would come in and spend his own money to buy you out of that slavery and get you back on your feet. To, maybe you had to sell your land to pay off your debt. The kinsman redeemer would pay off your debt and buy the land back, spending so much of his own money to get you back on your feet, to get you out of debt. In Deuteronomy 25, so that was Leviticus 25, in Deuteronomy 25, if a man died and left his wife without children, the man's brother would step in and marry the widow. So, the, so you got a man and wife, the man dies, leaving the widow now childless. The man's brother is allowed to step in, marry her, and help her provide a child. But here's the thing about this child. It's not his child. It's not the kinsman redeemer's kid. This child would carry on the name of the dead father. You see how it's kind of redeeming, it's bringing that dead family line back to life. You would restore this family's dignity. You would restore the family line, sometimes at great cost to yourself. This is a very costly thing to do as kinsman redeemer. This was a huge act of sacrifice that would, in effect, bring this family line back from the dead. Now, think about that for a second. A huge act of sacrifice that brings something back from the dead. This was supposed to happen throughout all of Israel. It was a huge dishonor if you were supposed to be a kinsman redeemer and you didn't. You were actually, the, the widow was allowed to spit in your face if you didn't fulfill your role as kinsman redeemer. This was a huge deal. So by the time we get to Jesus' day, the people of Israel would have been familiar with the practice of a family member someone who is like them, right, a family member, coming into their bad situation and at great cost redeeming them. That is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. The kinsman redeemer has to be a blood relative. He must be like you or it won't work. Well, what did Jesus do? He became human. He became like us. The kinsman redeemer has to be wealthy enough to redeem the lost person. His money is given to their account. Well, we owe God a massive debt because of our sin. But Christ obeyed the law down to the letter, so his obedience gets put into our account. When God looks at us, he doesn't see his, a disobedient person. He sees the obedience of Jesus thanks to the gospel, thanks to him dying in our place and him obeying in our place. He, his obedience gets put into our account. And lastly, the kinsman redeemer has to be willing, right? So often these kinsman redeemers would not fulfill their duty. We'll see this later on in the book of Ruth. But Christ was willing to rescue us. He, listen, he wants to. Listen to me, you on the podcast or you watching on Facebook, Jesus wants to help. He wants to redeem you. We always say that Jesus loves us, but we don't ever think about the fact that he likes us. And that's part of a greater love. I'm not trying to negate those two things, but Jesus Christ likes us, which is so strange because you and I are not very likable. But he doesn't tap his foot waiting for us to come to him. He wants to rescue us. Ruth's story is part of a much bigger story. It's pointing to exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. See, this is why we can't unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. We can't think that the Old Testament was a totally different book with a totally different God. It's not true at all. 
The God of the Old Testament is the God who sent Jesus in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the one who's laying out these patterns that Jesus will fulfill. It's the same type of love. It just hasn't been embodied yet in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament is so important in terms of understanding the gospel. This is one of hundreds of Old Testament examples that set the blueprint for what Jesus was coming to do. Jesus Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He bought us out of slavery to sin and death at great cost to himself. We offer Jesus what Naomi offered Boaz, nothing. Naomi has nothing to trade for, nothing to offer him. Boaz's kindness is the reason he restores her. And in the same way, we owe everything to Jesus who sought us out to redeem us when we, like Naomi, were totally lost. Remember, Naomi says, you have been so kind to the dead and to me. She counts herself as dead. What does Romans tell us? We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We may not look or feel dead, but we are among the dead. And Jesus Christ comes to redeem us. The same way Naomi didn't look or feel dead, but she was basically among the dead. And Boaz was sent by God to rescue her. Ruth, here's the other thing. Ruth was a Moabite woman. Moabite women, this wasn't just that she was a foreigner. Moabite women had a terrible reputation in Israel. In Numbers 25, during the days of Moses, the Moabite women seduced Israelite men into immorality and idolatry. So Moabite women for centuries now have been associated, or for roughly a century at this point, have been associated with immorality, with seduction, with idolatry. The very origin, check this out, the very origin of the country of Moab and the people of Moab comes as a result of an incest relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter in Genesis 19. This is who you're dealing with. This is the country Ruth is from. Now, Ruth is not like that, but we both know that perception is often reality, right? What people think of you, that's the reality. And, and it's a sad thing, but who knows that, you know, Ruth was being as noble as she could, but even she probably couldn't escape the stigma of her own people. Can you imagine what people would say if Boaz gave himself in marriage to a woman from this group? Who would risk their reputation to save someone like that? Who would be willing to destroy their reputation to save someone like that? What does it tell us in Philippians? Jesus Christ did not count himself, did not count equality as a thing to be grasped with God, but he emptied himself into the form of a servant. He threw his reputation away. What does the New Testament say? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He left his throne in heaven to become homeless. Isaiah tells us he wasn't good looking or anything that we would take us even a second look at. This is the Son of Heaven. The, the creator of the world. And he's boring in appearance. He gave up everything. He threw away his reputation to rescue us. Where do we see that in Ruth? Boaz does the same thing. He's a shadow. This is just a shadow of the love that Jesus Christ, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, has for us. 
We have sinned ourselves bankrupt. And we don't think about it like that sometimes, but we really have. We have bottomed out our checking account over and over and over again in terms of our sin. We have said no to God and gone our own way more times than we can count, and we will do it again. You and I will do it later today, later this week, and still Jesus Christ chases us down with his grace. He will continue to work on us and change our helpless hearts. It is all grace from him. He is patient He is kind, he perseveres with us, and he pays for all our wrongs. He is the ultimate kinsman redeemer for us. Naomi sees Boaz's kindness to Ruth in chapter 2, and the wheels start to turn in Naomi's head. She sees that Boaz could be this family's kinsman redeemer. She sees he's related to Elimelech. He's being very kind to Ruth, where a lot of other kinsmen may not be. He's very generous, which is something they're going to need because they have no money, they have no land. Could things be falling into place? And, And the wheels begin to turn in Naomi's head, right? The little Israelite hamster begins to go in her brain, right? That sounds offensive. I don't mean, you, you get it, right? He could, he could bring safety back to Naomi. And most importantly, he could bring the family line back from the dead. So we're in chapter three, just real quick here. Verses one through five is as far as we'll get today. And then we'll get back into verse by verse, jumping into it next week. But I wanna show you something in Naomi's life. Chapter three of Ruth, verses one through five. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to Ruth, my daughter, Shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you, or that you may be okay? Verse 2, Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, And you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And Ruth said to her, all that you say, I'll do. Now we'll get into the depths of what exactly is going on here next week. But I want you to see something very important here. Mark this change in Naomi. Look at how Naomi's heart has changed. In Ruth chapter 1, Ruth pledges herself to Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, right? It's beautiful. Carving on a piece of wood, put it above the fireplace, right? It's this beautiful moment. And what does Naomi say at the end of Ruth chapter 1, verse 21? The Lord has brought me back here empty. Well, what about Ruth? What about you brought Ruth back? She doesn't even count Ruth. The tragedy in Naomi's life has left her very self-absorbed. This is what the world can do to us. Sometimes we just get beat down and we become so self-absorbed on top of our tragedies. But in chapter 2, things start to change a little bit. Ruth goes out to glean in the fields and Naomi calls her daughter. At least she notices her now. It's a very short conversation, but at least she notices her. Then at the end of the day, at the end of chapter 2, when Ruth comes home with a week's worth of barley, Naomi starts to take notice. The sunlight of God's kindness is melting her heart slowly. You see Naomi 
open up more and more. Be focused on others more and more throughout the text. They, and Ruth and Naomi, at the end of chapter two, have their longest, one of their longest conversations so far. She tells Ruth to stay in Boaz's field for a season. She knows God is doing something here. The old Naomi would have just left again. So she did in the beginning. She left the whole field. But now Naomi's telling Ruth to stay because Naomi begins to understand something is happening. And now in chapter three, Naomi has gone from being totally self-absorbed, chapter one, to slowly helping Ruth, chapter two, to now fully taking the initiative to help Ruth. Naomi's the one who starts this plan in chapter three. God has sent her friendship through Ruth. He is providing for her needs through Boaz, and God's kindness is softening Naomi's heart. Just as a kinsman redeemer's money changes their financial situation, and his willingness changes their family situation, even though they cannot pay him back, he is faithful to them to change their life. And in the same way, God's faithfulness to us changes our hearts even when we have done nothing but sin and wander away. Remember, one of the themes of Ruth is ordinary obedience brings extraordinary results. Oftentimes, God's work in our own lives doesn't come through a big kind of burning bush moment, but his continued, I would argue even more miraculous, his continued day-by-day faithfulness to us is what changes our hearts permanently over time. You can go to beach camp or collide and have this big kind of flash in the pan thing that happens to you, which is good. But then over time, maybe you just fade back into neutral as we come home. But it's the slow, faithful work of God that permanently changes our hearts. His continued commitment to us day after day in the regular daily things That's what brings lasting change. That's how God works in our lives. His consistent faithfulness to us. His everyday extraordinary faithfulness to us. And in the same way, God's faithfulness to us changes our hearts, even when we have done nothing but sin and wander away from him. Every day we wander away from him and every day he is faithful. He is still committed to us. So often people will talk about the book of Ruth like, look at how God helps those who help themselves first. Look at how God blesses Ruth's work ethic. Be like Ruth. And that's certainly in there. We should be a people who are generous like Boaz and who are humble like Ruth. But more often than not, you and I are just like Naomi. Life is hard and a hard life makes our hearts hard. A breakup, a bad home life, a a life-changing phone call, a lost job, not getting the school we wanted to, not ending the school year the way we wanted to. Sometimes those things can destroy our hearts, make us forget about God. It makes us focus in on ourselves and can turn us hateful towards those who are just trying to help. Have you ever lashed out at someone who's just trying to help? But even when our hearts are that difficult and stubborn, God is gracious to us still. Think about how sinful we are. 
We become so sinful that we lash out at people who are just trying to help. Or have you ever gotten lost in your own head? You ever hype up a bad situation so much that all you can do is think about the worst case scenario? I do it all the time. And people try to get me out of it. Try to show me that it probably won't be that bad. But do you listen to that stuff? No, I don't listen to it. I get so lost in thinking about how bad it could be that I don't even notice what it really is. So we get so focused on ourselves and how bad things are that we hurt people who are just trying to help. We get so focused on ourselves that we can't stop thinking about the worst possible outcome and we won't listen to good advice. Would you want to help talk to someone like that? Would you want to step into that and help that person knowing they'll just lash out at you? Well, let me introduce you. Naomi has no money. And because of her hard life, she's become very self-centered. And she'll be your mother-in-law. And this is Ruth. Ruth has no money or land, and she's a foreigner. But she's not just a foreigner, she's a Moabite. If you marry her, you'll not only lose money by paying off their, their debts, you'll have a son with Ruth who won't even bear your name. And by the way, you may be a social outcast because you married a Moabite. They have nothing to offer you. They are helpless. So do you want to marry into this family? Do you want to help them? Boaz says, yes. Let me introduce you to someone else now. Put your name in here. This person, your name, my name, this person thinks about themselves more than anyone else in the world. This person is convinced they are right about everything and that the world is wrong. This person is so focused on themselves that if you try to help them on a bad day, they'll lash out at you and say something mean when all you were trying to do is help. If you try to talk sense into this person, they're going to be so negative that you'll start to get depressed and you're not even in the situation. That's how negative they are. That's how prideful and unwilling to listen they are. I'm asking you to commit your life to this person, your entire life. What would you say? The world looks at you and says, are you kidding me? No. Jesus Christ looks at you and says, yes. I will not leave them on their darkest day. In their deepest sin, I will not stop loving them. That, that love may even consist of discipline, but I will not turn my back on them. When Naomi left Bethlehem in chapter one, she was leaving the land, the promised land, that God had been working for hundreds of years to prepare for her. Hundreds of years. And Naomi just left. But who brought Naomi back? God did. Who ended the famine? God did. Naomi literally turned her back on God. But God never turned his back on her. She showed him nothing but her sin. And God showed her nothing but his kindness. Nothing but his covenant faithfulness. And the same is true of us. Martin Luther said, the only thing you can bring God in the trade for your salvation is your sin. It's the only thing you can do is give him your sin. Ruth sees a homeless widow and commits her life to her. She gives to the one who can give nothing back. Boaz sees a broke Moabite foreigner and he loads her down with more food and blessing than she can carry. 
he gives to the one who can give nothing back. What do you think that's pointing to? Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven, came down in the form of a helpless baby. He gave up his eternal glory to become a human who was despised on earth with no reputation. Then he was abandoned by God, his father on the cross. Why? Because we're such good people? No. Because Ruth risking her life is pointing to the person who gave his life for those who could give him nothing in return. Because Boaz as kinsman redeemer is just a pattern. The redemption he brings to Naomi and Ruth is just a shadow of a much bigger work of redemption. What Jesus Christ can do in our lives. You know, Boaz is definitely an earthly kinsman redeemer in this story, but there's already a much bigger one in the book of Ruth. Working behind the scenes the entire time, to take care of Ruth and Naomi, to shelter them in bad times, to be faithful to Naomi in spite of her sin. It's God. God is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. The message of Ruth is that not only is Boaz, remember this was read by Israelites. One of the messages of Ruth is not only is Boaz a kinsman redeemer to Naomi and Ruth, but God is a kinsman redeemer to his broken people. And hundreds of years later, at great cost to himself, on a cross, the kinsman redeemer would send his son to redeem us in a way that Naomi and Ruth could only hope for and dream of. Let's pray.